reading today was the parable of the sower. And we've been over the parable of the sower so many times that I sort of despair of having anything new to say about it. However, I do. And I was listening to Ron Dart, and he was also talking about the parable of the sower, so I figured that's what I was supposed to talk about this weekend. So, here we go. Ron Dart debunked an attitude that I've never had. He starts off by saying that he had been taught as a young man in church and so forth that parables were by way of illustrating things to make them clearer. I've never thought that. And he said that in fact is not true. And I'm switching to me different words but same idea. Step back a minute and try and think of this parable as if you had never heard it. Everybody here has been in church for years and years and years. It's sort of like Joseph's dreams when he goes before Pharaoh and you read them and you'll say, how can everybody not understand that? It's so clear. Well, it wasn't clear then. So Yeshua's first message when he came on the scene was, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, right? So what he does, he comes in, he says, repent, you guys. And when they don't repent, and I've told you this before, when they don't repent, he switches into parables. And what parables are, are riddles that are not intended to be understood by the audience. And so they are for those who are perishing. So those who fail to repent when they were given the warning of the prophet have chosen, if you will, to perish. And so what he keeps doing is he keeps speaking the truth to these people, but he speaks it to them in a way that they will not understand so that they can't say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, you never told us that. And the answer is, yeah, actually I did. But I told you to repent first. You didn't do that, so here it is in a way that you won't understand it, so that you can't say you didn't know, but it won't do you any good. And of course he goes back and quotes Isaiah, who says the same thing, or God says the same thing to Isaiah. Now, the thing that's kind of new to me this year, and I'll go back to the parable, in Luke 8, 8, it says, some fell on good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. Lots of people talk about the hundredfold increase. But down in the explanation, in 8.15, as for that in the good soil, they are those who hear the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. Now, after 20 some odd years my lightning fast mind finally catches on what is the first commandment that God gives to humanity be fruitful and multiply and what Yeshua is saying is those who hear the word and take it into the good soil of a fertile heart will bear fruit and nobody else does bear fruit which is to say, all of the people who don't take the word into a soil of a fertile heart are failing in the first commandment, even if they happen to have children. 
which takes me back to what does be fruitful mean? Certainly we all think of it as kids, and I've been blessed with children and grandchildren. It's a wonderful blessing. But what I'm saying to you is it's something more. You are supposed to be fruitful in that you are supposed to reproduce yourself spiritually. That's also part of being fruitful. In other words, there's a physical part, and believers do that, unbelievers do that, everybody does that. People do it by accident. Yeah, I mean, it just seems to happen. I mean, all these people just sort of showing up pregnant. I mean, Tom spends weekends standing out in front of Planned Parenthood to try and reach people who have become pregnant without intending to. So the physical act of reproduction, everybody can do. But the spiritual act of reproduction, that's what Yeshua is talking about in this parable. What he's saying is, you guys are not reproducing yourselves. You are not making members of the kingdom of heaven. That's what he's saying in this parable. He's not talking about going out and making little Hebrews. They're perfectly capable of going out and making all sorts of little Hebrews. They've been doing it for centuries. What he's saying is you guys are not making disciples. You are not making members of the kingdom of God. You are not being fruitful and multiplying. That's what he's saying in this parable. All right, so let's talk about this from that perspective. Now, of course, you have four types of soil. And you've all heard this. You've got the soil in the path. You've got the rocky soil. You've got the soil that isn't tended, and so it grows up weeds and chokes out the seed. And you've got good soil that brings forth a hundredfold. So you've got four types of soil. What I will suggest to you is that there are agents who are screwing this up. The first one is the seed that's scattered on the road. Now, one of the things that you should bear in mind, you've all heard this, but it's important to remember, what farmer do you know who doesn't turn off his drill when he drives across the road? Most people don't try and plant their seed in the middle of the road. They're driving along, they come to the road and they've got to go over the road, they turn the drill off, they pick up the disc and they drive across and then they put it all down and keep going. So the idea that the Word of God is sown in the path talks about the grace of God. God sows His Word liberally and He is not careful and stingy with it. He will sow it even in the middle of a road where He knows it's not going to grow. So that speaks to the grace of God. The idea that God is not willing that anyone should perish. And what he's done is he has scattered his word abroad, even in places where he kind of knows it isn't going to take root. So you've got Satan. That's your first agent. So Satan, when he sees the seeds in the road, birds, Satan, he comes and he pecks it all up and he takes it away so that there's no possibility that it might... You've seen stuff that falls into the cracks on the pavement? Go out to our parking lot in the spring. And you see the cracks in the pavement and you see stuff growing up through the cracks? So even in the pavement there is the possibility that some of the seed will go down into a crack and will germinate and will produce a crop. It won't be a big crop, but it will produce 
a crop. You know, if you leave the parking lot alone, the grass will make seeds and reseed itself. So what Satan does, he's the first agent. What he does is he comes along with birds and he pecks up all the grain so none of it falls into the cracks and there's no possibility of any of it germinating. That's the first agent. The second agent is those who have no depth. Rocky soil. There's a little bit of soil there. It germinates and there's no moisture. There's no depth. And as soon as the sun comes up, there it goes. The problem there is society. These people have not been taught. Nobody has discipled them. Nobody has come along and given them the information that they need to tend this crop. They hear it. They say, oh, wow, that's neat. And you know, maybe pray the old sinner's prayer. But as soon as difficulty or persecution comes along, they're out of there. And that's because they haven't been discipled. They haven't had people come alongside them and explain, A, the importance of it, and B, how to tend the crop. Some of you are gardeners out there. Actually, I'm a lousy gardener. I'm really good at planting gardens. I'm not very good at tending them. I get busy with other stuff, and I say, well, I can go weed it tomorrow. I can go weed it the next day. and It's a failure on my part. And, oh, by the way, I don't get much of a crop. I really don't. Because my garden is survival of the fittest. I'll dump the seed out there in the spring, but from there on, Darwin takes over because I'm not very good at it. But those of you who are good at it, you recognize that in order to get a crop, you can't just drop it in the ground in the spring and then show up in the fall to do the harvest. That's not the way it works. You've got to tend it. You've got to defend it. You've got to work. And adversity will happen to your garden. You'll get slugs, you'll get snails, you'll get prairie dogs. Everybody had prairie dogs in his backyard? I have. Yeah. And prairie dogs will really mess up your garden. So there's all sorts of things that you've got to defend your garden against. And the people who have rocky soil don't understand that. They're like me with my garden. Really excited and enthusiastic in the spring and they go out and prepare the bed and they plant everything and they set it up and fertilize it and then they get busy with other things and don't defend the crop. That's a failure of discipleship. And then the third is that they've got the soil, they've been discipled, they know better. But as they go along, like me with my garden, other things become more important. And they sort of neglect things and their garden grows up in weeds and it doesn't produce a crop. Now the thing about this parable that you really should understand is the reason it's an agricultural metaphor is because the soil can be changed. We're all born little heathens and it takes somebody to come along and disciple us and bring us up and so forth. And that process is amending the soil. It's breaking up the stony ground. It's putting fertilizer on it. And there isn't anybody's heart 
where the soil could not be amended. So I said that, could not be amended. Which is, by the way, why God sows his seed even in the middle of the road. Because it is possible to amend the soil. Let's go back to our Pharisees. The Pharisees were of the opinion that they had fertile soil. They were of the opinion that they had fertile soil. And they were going after this guy Yeshua for messing up the garden. So the fact that you believe in God, they did. And we're in James, by the way, on Tuesday night. One of my very favorite passages in the whole Bible is, you believe in God, well, good for you. So do the demons, and they tremble. So the fact that somebody believes in God is not an indicator necessarily that there is fertile soil there. Now, the other part of that is there's a whole lot of people who haven't heard, and that's a different question. But the fact of the matter is, even a society that has been set up by God himself, which Israel was, God sets up a society and puts his people in there. There is conceptually nothing wrong with Israel because it was established and set up by God and the rules were given to it by God and the government system was given to it by God it is as perfect as it could possibly be and oh by the way the United States is a close second because we were organized based on Torah principles so you've all read the Bible what happens to Israelite society over time they fall into apostasy. They fall into becoming either rocky soil or weedy soil. And what does God do? He sends them a prophet. He sends them a prophet. So when they go off the rails, which they do, because you know, one of the things about God is the only thing he's got to work with is humans, which is a real problem. So when they do go off the rails, what God does is sends them a prophet. And the prophet says, straighten up. You're screwing up. Now, one of the things that Israel says, and I will read this so I don't mess it up. In Matthew 23, this is Yeshua speaking. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, If we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Does that sound like every woke person in the United States who says, We got to get rid of the Confederate statues, we got to get rid of the statues of people who were slave owners, because if we had lived in those days, none of these ills would have happened? Does that sound like what we're going through? Absolutely. The attitude here is, we are righteous. Not only are we righteous, we are way more righteous than our ancestors. We're woke. Isn't that what the Pharisees are saying? That's exactly what they're saying. Is Yeshua impressed? No. Yeshua is not impressed. 
nor should you be, by the way. And one of the things that happens with the Pharisees or the woke culture that we live in is they exist on sound bites. So the Pharisees had their scriptural sound bites. They knew the scriptures. And they had a sound bite from scripture for every situation which reinforced their own self-righteousness. Listen to our society today. Is there a sound bite for every situation? You bet. We can't listen to those people because they own slaves. We can't listen to those people because they didn't believe in whatever. We can't listen to those people because. So what has happened to the Pharisees and what's happened to our society is people have narrowed their vision. So the only thing they see are the sound bites that reinforce their own preconceptions. And again, remember, as you look at our society and say, wow, this is really terrible, which it is, but Israel itself was set up by God and they had the best possible start of any human society and they still go into that. In other words, it's a human condition. And the only thing that remedies that is God comes back into that situation and slaps them around. Sometimes they listen, sometimes they don't. Sometimes they need to go into exile to get slapped around by Babylonians or Assyrians or somebody before they finally get it. And the point is that for humanity, boys, girls, ladies, gentlemen, whatever, we need an external source of definition of what righteousness is. And what we're dealing with now in the United States is we have abandoned the biblical source of definition of righteousness and we're rolling our own. That's even worse than what Israel does. Because Israel at least has God's words, which they're just distorting. We've even abandoned that and now we've invented our own stuff and we don't have to distort the word of God anymore because we don't believe it. But the point is, humans left their own devices for any length of time fall into what we are seeing today, what you are seeing in Israel. And the only way to get it formally corrected is back to God. And back to God with a fertile heart, not back to God with a weedy soil or back to God with a stony soil. And that's part of the problem, discipleship. That's our job, is to bring people to God, yes, but also to disciple them then so that they break up their stony soil and they weed their garden. I get to tell you, I thank God for you people all the time. And the reason for that is because I have to come in here every week and talk to you. If I were left to my own devices, I would be off in the weeds somewhere. But the fact that I have to come in here every week and talk to you keeps me at least semi-focused. Thank you. I need it. And so do we all. So, remember, God wants us to succeed. He didn't put us here to fail. That's not the goal. And if we do fail, 
it is our own fault. Remember what a parable is. A parable is a riddle to someone who is perishing. Because when God starts to speak in parables to you, what that means is you are on the wrong track and you are on the perishing path. That's what happens when a prophet starts talking in parables. And so if somebody comes talking in parables to you, that ought to be just a real slap upside the face. Whoa, wait a minute, I don't understand what he just said. And the fact that I don't understand what he just said tells me that I've got something I need to straighten out. And of course the disciples had Yeshua and they went to him and they said just exactly that. We don't understand what you just said. So he has to explain it to them. And the problem with the modern church today is you've heard this since you were in Sunday school and you've got teachers out there who say, well, yeah, I mean, these are little stories to illustrate a point, to make a point stronger so that you really understand what's going on. No, that's not what they are. I never have thought that's what they were. But it was surprising to me in a revelation when Ron Dart said, lots of people have been taught that that's what they are and what I'm telling you is that's not correct and I, I agree with Ron I mean we both have the same idea of parables but I had never even conceived of the idea that somebody was thinking of those as little stories that Yeshua uses to illustrate a point it's not what they are at all so two things thing one is if you keep running into parables pay attention because what God is doing is he is telling you something to someone who is about to perish. And then thing two is you can break up the soil. So if you have a parable that you don't understand, it's an indicator that you got soil to break up. And you need to get going on that. And then the third thing, I'll give you three. I said two, I'll give you three. Three is go out and help other people recognize that they're perishing. Even those in the church who just like the Pharisees don't want to hear it. And when I say in the church, I'm not exempting us. I'm not throwing rocks at any church or denomination. Because we have politicians, and you can all name them, who go to Mass every week and believe that they're righteous and believe that they're on the heaven track, and I will gently suggest that they are perishing. I don't know that. God does. I don't get to decide that. God does, and he's not going to consult with me. But it looks like to me we got some stony soil out there. So, look at people you run into, whether they're churched or not and look for signs of soil that needs to be broken up and if you can, help them break it up. That's what the people who understand the scriptures and the truth are supposed to be doing. You're supposed to reproduce yourself. That's the first commandment. You're supposed to reproduce yourself. And that's what Yeshua is saying. You guys aren't doing that.